the entrepreneurial journey is not an easy one. So uh, I think that there is a lot of buzz around being an entrepreneur these days. And um, it's seen as kind of the, the positive alternative to a desk job. But some people sometimes don't realize what they're getting into when you're signing up for, for a life where you eat what you kill. Hey, welcome to My Company Story. I'm your host, Don Burge. My Company Story is a podcast where I get to interview some of the most interesting business owners and CEOs about the challenges that they've faced and how they've overcome them. Enjoy the show. Hi, I'm here with Brian Freeman. He's the CEO of Heartbeat. Welcome to My Company Story, Brian. Hi, thank you. Nice to be here. Brian, can you tell our audience a little bit about what Heartbeat is, what you do, who your customers are, number of employees? Give us an idea of the size of your company and what you guys are all about. So Heartbeat is a marketplace product where regular, everyday consumers can become influencers for brands. So uh, we're about 14 people located in Los Angeles, um, which, you know, between three and five million in revenue after a few years in business. And our customers range from uh, early stage companies, primarily in direct to consumer, the direct to consumer space. So the uh, think millennial female targeted brands, you know, beauty, fashion, fitness, apps, service-based products, maybe that's a service-based app, um, all targeting that millennial and Gen Z audience. Um, to, and then we've got a huge block of entertainment customers, which kind of comes to the territory for LA. Um, so big, big movie studios, um, names I can't mention, but you'd recognize. And, uh, and then also some uh, awesome national retail brands like Dunkin' Donuts. That's, that's great, Brian. So tell us a little bit, how does your, how does your company work? I mean, so take, let's take Dunkin' Donuts if we could. So if they're a customer of yours, what do you do for them and how does that all set up? What are you guys doing? So. Uh, let me take a like a one step up just to kind of set the landscape for people. So the world of influencer marketing, which means people creating content on behalf of a brand on social media um, to execute an influencer marketing campaign is unfortunately the bane and frustration of hundreds of thousands of people's existence in the media functions around the, around the world. Um, you have to find the right people to work with. Um, sometimes you have to use a searching tool or, or a product you've subscribed to so you can kind of go in as a, into a library of influencers, search them, identify them, and then um, pull, them into, pull them into a workflow of trying to recruit them into your world to get them to become an influencer for your brand. Um, you also might need to ship them product. You might need to negotiate a pay rate for them. You might need to negotiate content rights. So you might be going through an agent. You might be going through a local family attorney or something, depending on who uh, and how sophisticated the influencer is. So once you've gone through all those steps, um, now you have now they go create content for you. You have to monitor that content, enforce some kind of levels of standards, and then complete a payment through whether it's writing a check or whatever. If it's if they're if it's enough to create a 1099 environment, now you have to 1099 them. Um, and Heartbeat takes that entire process and makes it as easy as ordering something from Postmates. So um, when you're designing a campaign on Heartbeat as a brand, you're using our campaign designer. And if you're one of our kind of white glove customers, we're helping you do that. We're doing that on your behalf. You list the campaign on the Heartbeat Marketplace. And so just to kind of wrap your mind around that, just picture, picture the Uber Eats app and that fun little, like, uh, little unit that's on there as you're scrolling through that shows you what the restaurant is. Well, in the world of Heartbeat, that's an opportunity to post for a brand, and the consumers are looking at the app to find those. Um, once they opt in, the brand can then choose which, which influencers they want to work with, which consumers they want to work with, and 
they have an opportunity to ask them additional survey questions to better refine the audience that's participating. We also provide some, um, some of the best in class opportunities for targeting because we have a robust, uh, in, a robust survey platform that's generating between 15,000 and 100,000 survey responses every day from the people who are on the Heartbeat app. So um, we've thought through how to make it as easy, fluid, and painless as possible. Um, and we have hundreds of customers who are loving exactly that. I see. So let me paraphrase if I can. So you're connecting brands that want to have uh, influencers who have social media followings of 1,000 or 10,000 followers or whatever that is out there. You want those, that brand like Dunkin' Donuts or a beauty product, something, that, that they want those influencers. And the influencers go to your website, they look around, they see, oh, I see that uh, the Dunkin' Donuts or I make up uh, company uh, wants to have this. I'll go make some content for that, see if they like it, and then you connect it and you guys do all the behind the scenes stuff. Yeah, we get that more or less right? Yeah, for the most part, yeah. We, <laughs> okay. We built a software kit that makes getting people to go on their own Instagram accounts and create content for your brand very, 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 very easy. I see. Um, in a company like Dunkin' Donuts, you know, they're, they're in that kind of white, love, white glove layer for us. Um, but we have plenty of brands doing this and managing this on their own. And what that essentially means is the people who are creating content now could be used in all different ways. You know, you might use that post for your performance ad, you know, on Instagram or Facebook. That, that picture that that young person created might now become the ad unit you're using to market to other young people, which we've Everybody in the space kind of knows UGC now is one of the highest performing channels for, um, for, for ad buying. Um, or you might take that piece of content, put it in an email newsletter. Um, you might put it up on your website to show that you're giving back to your fans, that you're a company that really values driving participation with your target audience, and that you're not just kind of this stoic, standoffish product or, or brand or founder that doesn't want to listen or engage with their with uh, their audience, but quite the opposite. Got so, it. Um, yeah. Interesting. Okay, great, Brian. So you're really connecting brands who want the influencers and influencers who want brands. You're putting these two together. And yeah. tell us, that may lead into my next question, Brian, which I think you know where I'm going. How did you get into this? What was your background to become this brand influencer dating service? Yeah, well, it's interesting you use the word dating because that um, was literally how I got into it. So I had started a company back in 2013 with a couple other guys called Wildfire. Um, and this was in, in, when Tinder was in its early days. And this product was actually the first female-focused dating application. Um, so Bumble wasn't on the scene yet, but they would be in the very near future, which kind of ended up being one of the catalysts as to why the business ended up evolving into Heartbeat. But um, we'll get to that in a second. So uh, the summer of 2014 was great for the brand of Wildfire and the product. We, were, we had like a lot of PR coverage. We were on different talk shows, we were on a bunch of different news outlets, we had hundreds of press mentions, and it was clear that there was actually a need and a desire for a product that made women feel safer in the world of online dating. But um, in it turns out there are other people who had that strategy in mind as well, and at the, at the end of 2014, um, Whitney Wolf announced that she was starting Bumble, which was you know, a female-focused dating product. And, that ended up taking a lot of the wind out of my sales as the CEO for fundraising. And the truth be told, I really didn't understand the world of dating the way that the people who were getting involved in it, like the Bumble founder did. I mean, she was from Tinder and really understood the ins and outs and how expensive it was. I didn't have a clue, but um, we were good at grassroots marketing. So uh, to grow wildfire, we did this about 10 times. We were going on college campuses and 
getting sororities excited about the product, um, energized, and encouraging them to get as many people as they could get on the app as possible in a short window of like somewhere around two weeks. And the first time we did this was at San Diego State, and I'm from San Diego. I was living in San Diego at the time. And the these young women in, uh, in at San Diego State went to Instagram to tell the world about um, this new product that they wanted them to try. And so it was this really cool new thing that I had never seen before where a, a regular person who was not an influencer took a picture or a video and then wrote a little story in their caption as to why this brand was cool and why people should pay attention to it. And we found that we could get anywhere from 12 to 20,000 new users out of three or $4,000 invested in one of these college rollouts. Um, wow. And that's a big, that's a big conversion radio ratio. Yeah, it, it was crazy. And, um, when you're, when what you're up against is a 10 to $300 cost per install off of a Google ad, you're, you see something like that and you get really excited. So we did that 10 more times and each one of those, um, initiatives ended up always all being around how much Instagram content can we create during those, uh, during those programs. And so by summer of 2015, the company had done a lot of really cool college rollouts and had this great playbook for an offline strategy, but had not gotten enough traction and started to lose out pretty obviously to Bumble in the market. So my co-founders on that company ended up going back to their day jobs and I was kind of still sticking around with like seeing how, what we could do with this, how do we turn this into something interesting and not lose the money that we had raised so far and the investment of those people who put into the business. And I took that offline strategy of the college rollout program and I started experimenting with an online version of it. I had used a pro program called MailChimp um, and then a Squarespace page and we basically came up with a new video-based dating app that, that wasn't real, but it was an idea called Heartbeat. Um, so we did some mock-ups for that. Uh, we built a brand around it. And so that website existed and there was an ambassador program for it that mimicked a lot of the strategies we'd use on those college campuses. So you could get paid to post, um, and then we would, you know, and essentially we got people excited about being part of a brand ambassador for this brand heartbeat. And by November, I had about 2,500 people who had signed up for that brand ambassador program. They were excited. They were jazzed. They, they wanted to see this app live and the idea of getting paid a little bit to do some Instagram content creation was appealing as well. And it became pretty clear at that point that not only was the business essentially out of money and out of runway, but nobody wanted to invest to help us build this new video based product. It was going to be too expensive and too time consuming. So a friend of my, in my kind of pit of despair, a friend of, I was talking with one of my friends who was based in Chicago and she suggested, well, you've got all these people who uh, wanted to post for the heartbeat thing, but that's not going to happen. Would they post for somebody else's company? Maybe you can make some money on this. I was like, you know what? I don't know, but it's worth a shot. I mean, I'm basically broke, so let's go for it. So she sent out an email to some of her friends. And uh, the next day, I had five or six businesses in my inbox wanting to talk. Wow. By so you've got a friend in Chicago that you own a big box of chocolate to now, don't you? Yeah. Don't you? Yeah. She, yeah, she's awesome. Um, so, yeah, and by the end of the second day, we had 15 more. So there was a real, there was a real demand for that. Um, and in January, I met... Uh, or late December, I met the co-founder now of Heartbeat. Um, so, and she ended up joining the company as a consultant and then we brought her on as a full co-founder uh, a little bit later in the year. We raised some money for a new concept, a scaled program of real people creating content. And, um, and then I guess the rest is history. And I moved up to LA in May to pursue, pursue the dream.
Wow, that's a great story, Brian. So you really did literally take from a dating service and really pivoted the dating instead of a, a boy meets girl, it's really a boy and girl meet brand and brand meet boy and girl. That kind of thing is where it's going, it sounds like, and doing very successfully. Yeah, and one of the things that we saw, uh, one of the things that like came over very organically from the dating concept was the, the need for people to share data with the service in order to get value out of it. So like you have to put personal information into a product, a dating product, or else you're, you know, you're screwed. I mean, this, you have right. to do it. So um, we had as a standard asking people to give us 10 to 15 points of personal information, um, which translated as being something that we consider table, skate, table stakes when asking people to join an influencer platform, Interesting. Um, which created a really robust targeting uh, database for creating very targeted and value-driven campaigns for brands. So Brian, describe if you can today your ideal client. You have two clients, don't you? You have the influencer and you have the brand. Are you going after both those two markets together tandemly or, or how does that look? Or what's your best, what is, who do you want to get? Yeah, I mean, the, it's in a double-sided marketplace model, you got to get both. So um, we're constantly running programs to attract new consumers to the platform and uh, get them into our, you know, into our world and exposed to the idea of getting, you know, getting paid to pay to post for a brand. Um, and then on the brand side, it's our ideal target customer is generally millennial and Gen Z focused. So looking to target people under 35. Um, and that could range from a beauty, a health and wellness, a fitness product, um, a fashion product to, um, again, like a, like an app that's, uh, designed to make the lives better of somebody in that age block, uh, typically in the U.S. We're almost exclusively in the U.S. right now. Um, and then, you know, big entertainment companies. So we actually have a very wide sect, uh, you know, wide net that we cast for the types of brands who can work with Heartbeat. That's um, great. And that, that variety is kind of the something that we need. You know, we yeah. want to have a vibrant, uh, a lot of opportunities that are diverse on the platform so people can feel like they've got a lot of choices. Well, it sounds to me the way you described it at the beginning that you've really scaled up quickly. It's, it's working. You're doing something right. And so now it's just a matter of keeping doing it to those, like you said, dual audiences, dual markets out there. That's right. Yeah. So Brian, if I can right now, I ask everyone who comes onto the show on my company story, every entrepreneur I talk to on this talks about they've all had challenges and they've all had hardships and adversities that they had to face in their life and their career. Can you tell us a little bit about what's happened in your past that you'd like to share with other entrepreneurs like yourself? Yeah, um, I think the entrepreneurial journey is not an easy one. So uh, I think that there is a lot of buzz around being an entrepreneur these days, and um, it's seen as kind of the, the positive alternative to a desk job. But some people sometimes don't realize what they're getting into when you're signing up for, for a life where you eat what you kill. And uh, so to that effect, there's been a lot of ups and downs with the with the company you know cash flow sometimes it, we get you know we've gotten in the past to a point where we weren't going to make payroll and um a payment comes in at the very last second and we're able to do it and it's literally terrifying and you're telling your staff like we're, we may not exist in a week um and you end up losing people and so there's there's been a number of instances like that over over the years i mean the first time we ran out of money in the company was in 2015 the second time was in 2017, when uh, a customer went bankrupt, owing us $100,000, when $100,000 was six months of runway for the company at the time. That's and, a big hit. Yeah, we thought they were going to pay 
all the way up until um, I think we ended up getting down to $1,100 in the bank account. With So what did you do? I mean, here you are, you've got 1100 bucks in the bank account, you've got people that need to get paid, you're, you know, you've got vendors. I mean, and a guy goes bankrupt on you that owes you so much money. What do you, as an entrepreneur or business owner, what do you, besides sweating buckets, what do you do? So I scrambled to, and it's not like I didn't see it, see something coming. It was, it was a hard hit and um, it, everything kind of like hit at the same time. But the thing is, if you're in a tech startup, you always got to be in the mindset of raising money because there's almost no amount of money that's enough. And whatever money you get, you tend to, uh, it tends to spend itself. That's just kind of the nature of it. So in that scenario, I had been kind of keeping the investors updated on progress. And we were looking at joining an accelerator program called Techstars, which we ended up joining. And, but we hadn't fully got into it yet. So it ended up being a combination of a lot of hustle on trying to get some investors to re-up and put some additional money in that ended up happening. We ended up closing about $300,000 over the next three months, including some money from Techstars, which then bridged us again until the end of the year. Um, and we hustled our butts off to get some more clients in. And we ended up changing the office we were in and moving into the co-work space to reduce costs. Um, we renegotiated some of our vendor agreements that we knew were kind of high burn vendor agreements um, and extended those out over longer periods of time. We called the people who we owed money to and told them we were going to be paying them in increments. So that's, you know, you just scramble to make it happen. I mean, it wasn't fun. Um, and then one of the other things that we had to do, which actually was a fantastic forcing function, was in order to raise money, you've got to have a cool story. You can't say, hey, we're doing the same thing the same way and we just need a little more, more money because a customer didn't pay us. That People see that as putting good money after bad. So right. you've got to come up with something new and innovative and unique. And I essentially locked myself in my office for a weekend and came out of it with a new deck that was told the story of a self-serve marketplace. So before that, we had a kind of a tech enabled services business of creating content for brands through these regular people. But we didn't have a big vision for what this could be. That was clear. Um, the idea that we were faced with death and the fact that I had to come up with something interesting forced me to get, you know, really introspective on like, what is the ideal thing here? What, what do I think is going to be really exciting? What would I invest in? And on the other side of that, it was, um, a story and a vision for a, a marketplace where um, you could create, you know, millions of dollars of value every day and you didn't have to have staff kind of executing on it by hand. Um, that's a great, that's a great story, Brian, that, that the fact that you were at death's door virtually with a, with a client that's gone BK on you, owes you a hundred grand, you're going to be out of business. You lock yourself in a room, you sweat you, for a full weekend, you're out there hammering away, you recreate the company and, and you recreate the story, a great story, the story who you are right now, present that to investors. They buy in on it. They give you 300 grand. You're out of the woods. You're in the running again. And now you're off and rolling where you are today. That's, that's, that's a, that's a great story to, to hear for other entrepreneurs to know who are, who are going to face it. I mean, everyone, all of us go through adversities. All of us come to that death's door at one point in time in our career. And we have to figure a way to get through it. You figured it out on a, on a, sounds like a lonely weekend. You figured it out, but came out <laughs> on the other side pretty well. So congratulations on that. Yes. Are there other challenges that come to mind? Are there stories like that that you may want to pass on to other entrepreneurs? I would say just more as a general, the something I faced this summer was um, 
I had been pouring so much energy into the company, um, literally 80 hours a week for two and a half, three years. And what that had done was give me so, get me so focused on working in the business that I was losing perspective on working not just on the business, but on myself as an entrepreneur. And um, it came to a point where, uh, you know, I had to really look at like my own attitude and what was making me fulfilled and like what was uh, going to make me happy to come to work on a daily basis because 80 hours a week and just grinding out wasn't cutting it anymore. After three years of working, I mean, I started the company in 2013. So it was really between 2013 and beginning of 2019. So it's, it's more like six years. Um, I'd been putting that type of time and energy and effort into it. And it forced me to go, wait a second, I need to be building myself as an entrepreneur, not just this company, because I'm the CEO and the founder. And those two things are going to be pretty intertwined for a while. And I saw my own behavior and kind of attitude towards working in the business as being one of the key bottlenecks for helping it, helping it grow and helping it succeed. Um, and so we were in another kind of cash crunch type situation and we had to look at the resources we had and go, okay, there are some things we're spending money on that we don't necessarily need, although they're awesome. And although we like them, they, there are some drawbacks on those too. And so, for example, we had an expensive, nice office. We decided to downgrade and move into, move into a different direction. Um, we had some hiring plans that we had to change. Um, and then we had some different programs we were investing in that we realized, look, these are, these again are nice to have. So. Um, a combination of personal introspection and being re getting really clear with what's going to drive baseline results that are going to make this company something that can be acquired one day, something that can raise a Series A one day, um, and and not just focusing on like the one to two weeks right in front of you, but but really thinking long term on things. Yeah, that's great, and I think you said it very well. Everyone, so many guys get caught up in guys and girls get caught up in working in the business, not on the business, and. I know we spoke earlier, you're involved in a Vistage group right now, which uh, as you know, I'm a chair of Vistage and you're in Jed Daly's group. And Jed is a fantastic chair. Really shout out to Jed and anyone who's involved in Vistage. He's a, he's a wonderful chair to have. You're very lucky to be in his group. But I imagine that's part of what you're getting and stepping away from your business, aren't you? From getting that 30,000 foot view and stepping away for a day for a couple of hours here and there and really stepping back and thinking about where, what direction to go. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I first sat down with Jed, one of his, one of the parts of the pitch for Vistage was we have a lot of entrepreneurs who come to us and the standard way that they live is trying to be all things in an organization. And he's like, no kidding. I had a guy who I, you know, who came through Vistage, who I met, who had 40 direct reports at one point and his company was doing 10 million plus a year in revenue, but he had 40 direct reports. And he thought that was normal. You know, he didn't take any vacation time. He didn't do that kind of thing. And, um, you know, there are some elements of that that rang true for me. You know, I had built the company up from, you know, from the ashes now a couple times. It, it felt so like, it sometimes it felt like if I just let something go that it just wasn't going to get done or something along those lines. And, and at the end of the day, all you're doing is eroding the success of your business by having that kind of attitude. And so, what spoke to me immediately when I sat down with Jed uh, was that there is a there is a group of people out there who have figured out how to elevate out and and be not just this not a great not just a great CEO for one company but for multiple companies at a time uh, and there's ways to build value personally and in your organization by doing less 
uh, just by doing the right things less or doing the right things more and the wrong things less. And they'll help you point out what those are. Yep. So I found it extremely valuable so far. And there's also something to be said for fellowshipping with other entrepreneurs who are going through challenges that you just don't face um, unless you're at the top. Yep. Well said. And that that's precisely why I love doing what I'm doing, putting guys together like you and like what Jed's doing with people like you and your peers and your business group. It's a needed it's a needed place out there for, for guys who are not because it's lonely at the top and you have to step away and do your own thing and learn from really smart people like yourself. So absolutely. Well, Brian, thanks so much for being on the show. If anyone wanted to get a hold of you, what would be the best way to do that? So um, anyone can email me at brian at heartbeat.com or shoot me a note on LinkedIn. I'm super active on LinkedIn. Great. Okay. Well, Brian, thanks so much for being on my company story. We look forward to following your great successes. Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks, Brian. Hey, thanks for listening to My Company Story. We have new episodes coming out every week, so please subscribe if you like this. And if you'd like to hear previous episodes, you can go to mycompanystory.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, if you or someone you know would be interested in coming on the show, please email me at don at Thanks for listening.